Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you had a great 4th of July. So glad you're letting us be part of your day as we wrap up this first week of July. Plenty to talk about. Looking forward to talking with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey today. I want to talk about uh, Prevent Plant Acres. also want to talk about the Market Facilitation Program Uh, those payments, when will we get more details, learn about those county payment rates and things like that. We'll talk with Undersecretary Northey about those issues and more. We're going to talk markets with INTL FC Stone's Arlen Suderman, and we're going to talk with Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation about a new dairy initiative um, underway by a big yogurt maker and several partners in that initiative. And it's all about validating the good work that dairy producers are doing when making uh, those uh, wonderful dairy products that we enjoy. And we're going to learn more about this new dairy initiative coming up on today's program. But right now, let's check the news. We have lots to talk about with DTN reporter Todd Neely. Todd, thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good fourth. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Hey, we have... uh, there were several items here recently on the biofuels industry I wanted to touch on with you. One being, what did you make of the oil state senators, Republican senators, saying they want Secretary Purdue to stay out of any future decisions on small refinery exemptions? Yeah, you know, Mike, I think it, uh, you know, it strikes as a lot of politics, obviously. Um, you know, there's a lot of pressure on EPA right now coming from both sides on the small refinery waiver issue. Um, the fact that we've got oil uh, industry senators coming out and, and really trying to you know, flex some muscle on this is really not much of a surprise. Um, I think the idea that, uh, that Secretary Purdue is going to have uh, you know, a wide influence on what, on what happens on this issue I think is probably a bit of a stretch, although... Um, you know, it would make sense to have him involved in, you know, any discussion about what's going to happen with the waiver program. And, uh, you know, clearly the president's on, on a track here to try to, to, try to um, you know, alleviate concerns from both sides on this. But um, I think it's, it's, it's somewhat silly to, to, uh, to put that amount of pressure on the Ag Secretary. And, um, you know, I suspect in the end probably it's, it's probably not going to go anywhere, you know, I, I think that, you know, Purdue has a lot that he can offer on this. I mean, I think, um, you know, there's there's plenty of people who hope, you know, and, and you know, hope to see that Purdue's voice will be at least heard in this uh, on this issue. And quite frankly, the oil state senators, they're, they're speaking for their constituency. They're trying to protect uh, things back home. Yeah. And when Secretary Purdue speaks out, uh, uh, you know, against, granting some of these waivers quite frankly he's speaking uh, to his constituency as well absolutely you know and you i mean that's kind of how things go you would expect both sides to have a voice i mean um you know and and i think purdue is gonna you know he's he's obviously gonna you know stand on the side of agriculture and ethanol um but i think you know 
to, to exclude his voice from, from this process just doesn't make a whole lot of sense either way, even if you're for or against the waiver situation. Um, I think if, if ultimately you want to get it right and you want to you want to make sure both sides you know are treated with the you know respect and and uh, you know and that their voices are heard, I, I think you have to have all the voices included. And um, I just don't think you know I, I think it's we're at a point in time where there's a lot of posturing going on, and, and I think ultimately you know there's going to be some sort of a change made, and it may not be dramatically you know to one side or the other. Now, we could perhaps today see a release from EPA of the proposed RVO levels for 2020, right? Definitely. You know, I think um, <clears throat> last week there was some, some talk about, um, you know, that happening last week. And so we're kind of past what a lot of, a lot of people had thought would be the date where this, these proposals will be released. Um, you know, at this point, I don't know how big of a, you know how big of an issue this is. I mean, obviously, you know it's good. It's good to see the RFS program kind of stay on track that way. You know, the EPA is putting out the volumes on time and that sort of thing. But uh, you know, as we talk about small refinery waivers and we talk about possible reset of the RFS, you know, there's a proposal uh, that might possibly come out at the end of July or the first of August on that front. And so, uh, it's good to see the RVOs coming out consistently on time. Although if it didn't come out today, I'd I don't know that it's going to matter all that much, but we, uh, we're we kind of looking for it. We're not really hearing much about it, but uh, it could come today. Meanwhile, we know these are some tough economic times in the biofuels industry. Some ethanol plants really struggling, and we've seen the closure or the announcement of a closure of a biodiesel plant in Nebraska. Yeah, uh, you know, Flint Hills Resources, they, they're primarily an ethanol producer, but they, they did own the 50-million-gallon plant in Beatrice, Nebraska, which is in the southeastern tip of the state. Uh, and one of the most interesting aspects of this, you know, there, there's about four employees who have been offered severance packages. Um, and one of the things the company's talked about is the economic headwinds. You know, it's been very challenging in a number of respects, but uh, it's interesting because soybean prices have been, uh, you know, kind of on the decline somewhat, and um, a plant like this that produces biodiesel from uh, waste oils and, and, you know, corn oils and those sorts of things, uh, you know, they had positioned themselves as kind of a low-cost producer compared to a soybean-based uh, biodiesel plant, and now with the way the economics are going in commodities and so on, um, they can't really afford to compete anymore. Biodiesel industry really needs that tax extenders to pass with the biodiesel tax credit. Uh, that would yeah, really absolutely. give them a boost, right? Absolutely, yeah. And I think, uh, you know, that's still in the process. I think that's going to get done. It's just a matter of when. And meanwhile, as we look at uh, some other uh, items, we did have a Supreme Court ruling last week uh, that could be helpful to ag producers. Yeah, you know, it's uh, it's interesting. The Supreme Court uh, had issued a ruling on uh, a case involving <clears throat> um, what they call the hour deference. It's it's basically courts will typically defer uh, to federal agencies when it comes to, uh, you know, to how the rules are interpreted. Um, well, the Supreme Court handed down a decision last week uh, that basically says that courts can no longer just defer to agencies, that they actually have to look at regulations that are challenged before courts and make sure that those regulations are clear in the first place. And the reason this is important is because uh, we've had farmers who have, have challenged EPA and uh, USDA and others on a variety of different uh, different rules. And many times 
uh, courts have basically not given these uh, these court cases all that big of a look. They instead defer to the agency. Um, and so I think this, you know, at least opens the door uh, to allow people to challenge uh, EPA and USDA and, and uh, you know, in particular when it comes to wetlands determinations and, you know, all these things that farmers deal with. I think this definitely, you know, at least gives a chance, a shot um, to go to court and, and challenge uh, what agencies are, are doing. All right, Todd, good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Take care. Todd Neely, DTN reporter. Up next, USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Recently on Adams on Agriculture. You know, very unlikely doesn't mean not. Doesn't mean it's not going to happen. So uh, I'd say if there's a, you know, a swim chance in there or a glimmer of hope that we can grab onto and uh, hopefully push them a little harder. And, you know, it's going to take help, though. We got we to gotta have a lot of folks uh, pushing this thing and, you know, making sure that they want to they wanna move this now and, and not wait for that after that August recess. So, you know, like I said, hopefully we can get folks motivated to, to pass USMCA, and we're going to be working hard as NCGA and myself and others to uh, make sure we're out there doing the job and, and pushing them. But um, it's it's going to take a lot more effort than that, too, to, to, to get these guys to move off a, off a center on this one. Hopefully some positives will be coming soon. Thank you very much for the update. Appreciate it. Hey, glad to be on this morning. Thanks a lot. Take care, Kevin. Kevin Ross, President-Elect of the National Corn Growers Association. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. Over the years, you've brought them into your home. You were prescribed opioids after the C-section and after Dad's back injury. They helped when you were in pain, and you held on to them just in case. But did you know holding on to unused opioids puts your family at risk? Trouble with opioids can start at home with unused medicines, such as pills, patches, and syrups. You can remove the risk and protect your family. Find out how at www.fda.gov slash drug disposal. Sometimes life is wonderful, and sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready. And health insurance is your financial safety net. 
If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always good to talk with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey, who joins us now. Bill, thanks a lot. Hope you had a good Fourth of July. I did, Mike. Hope you and your listeners did as well. Well, lots to talk about. Let's start with uh, prevent plant acres. Uh, The numbers coming out from the Ag Department uh, expected to top $1 billion in claims, talking about $10 million or more acres. These are staggering numbers. And, and do we really uh, have a full grasp of those uh, acres yet? I mean, it could be more, right? Yeah, it, it sure could be. It's hard to know right now. We're hoping there's a few places that uh, crops are still able to go on the ground. I, I know we've got some folks that like to get some uh, second crop beans in if they were able to get some wheat off as well as uh, just some late planted beans in probably corn's done in in lots of parts of the country but some sorghum or some other things in so we don't know um, we'll go through uh, acreage certification at farm service agency uh, over the next few weeks um, and probably even later um, depending on when folks are able to get planted and then we'll start to see those numbers climb within the crop insurance numbers as well. We'll get reports. As people report to their agents, it goes through companies, and then it comes, and we're able to start to collect that information. So it'll be probably into August before we really know what the numbers are. There have been questions and speculation about what can be done on those prevent plant acres. Can you plant corn or beans on those acres? You can as a cover crop. You need to make sure and designate what it is. So um, you need to decide whether that's whether you are planting for a a crop that you're trying to harvest, uh, or a crop that can crop that be harvested as a cover crop for forage. Um, let your crop insurance agents know. But you can go back in. I know we're really short of of cover crop seed out there. Uh, we've got some extra corn and beans around and some folks that like to be able to use some, um, as we heard folks wanting uh, to be able to have forage as well in those areas where we had winter kill and, and we were having a tough time or farmers were having a tough time uh, getting that first crop hay made. Uh, it Traditionally, you're not able to plant corn or soybeans on that, prevent plant acres for the same crop. You could always use it as a cover crop um, on acres that you weren't intended uh, as a first crop. But again, that's one of those things we expanded this year so that folks are able to do that. You just need to make sure you certify it um, consistently between risk management agency and FSA and that you let folks know up front what you're doing. Okay, so that's the key. If you're going to do it, if you're going to plant corner beans, then you're, you need to certify that ahead of time, right? That's right. That's right. Here, you certainly need to let your crop insurance agent know ahead of time. Generally, you certify the acres afterwards, but you need to be able to 
make sure you're consistent in your certification and let your crop insurance agent know ahead of time, whether that's prevent plant acres and therefore cover crop, or whether that's your first crop and you're intending to try and get it harvested. We're talking with USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. Bill, here we are into July, July 4th behind us, and we're wondering about the market facilitation program payments, those county payment rates. Uh, what can you tell us now, and when will we be getting more details and more information? Well, we'd like to be able to get sign up such that we could start getting some checks out in August. Um, some of our information is still at Office of Management and Budget, uh, so we're limited in what we can supply for information. And in fact, some pieces could still adjust in it. Uh, so um, we intend uh, probably at least by the end of July being able to get some information out. I hope sign up can start uh, maybe end of July uh, and be able to get some checks out. We've, we've said we'd like that first check to come out. Uh, either end of July, it's probably going to be August now uh, as we look at uh, getting all the software done and and the rules finalized with uh, OMB and, and being able to get that announcement made uh, later in the month. So has that been worked out, how those county payment rates will be established, or are you still working on that formula? Uh, the formula is pretty much worked out. Um, again, Office of Management and Budget. Um, uh, can have an influence over that, um, that the conversations, uh, the general conversations that we've all shared about a county formula or a county um, rate uh, for all the crops in that county, uh, having specialty crops that have their own rate, the nuts, uh, some sweet cherries uh, would have their own rates. Um, those those overarching pieces are all set, uh, certainly not ready to announce what those county rates are yet um, because we still need to get a final set of uh, agreements on the rules. Are you concerned, because some have already voiced concerns of, of potential uh, inequities here, that uh, one county is going to be, you know, receive much more favorable rate than the county right next to it. Are you, are you concerned about that? Well, if you're going to have county rates that are different, uh, just like if uh, back previously, if you have crops that are different, you're going to have differences between counties. Uh, those differences may be small. Those differences uh, may be larger in some cases. Uh, but the crops grown in a county will help determine what those rates are, and you have some counties uh, that are growing crops that are much more impacted by trade than other counties. So the idea of county rates was to have a consistent rate across that county, um, and uh, and therefore you do know that there's edges of counties uh, where there'll be different rates in other counties. Um, we'll see, um, you know, if, it, if the crops are very similar across county lines, then I think you'll likely see very similar rates, uh, but where you have large differences uh, from county lines um, in, in what's raised within those counties, you'll likely see some differences uh, that will be reflected in the rates in those counties. Bill, when this was being announced, you emphasized you did not want farmers planting for this program, uh, but yet the, there was so much speculation that it was, that it was going to be that way. Then I saw 
a survey recently said maybe 10% of farmers said that did influence their planting. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Are 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 you happy that uh, the way it worked out, or or do you wish it could have happened differently than it did? You know, ideally we would have had a trade agreement with China, and we wouldn't have needed a program, and that that certainly would have been best. Um, I, it would have been uh, great to be able to have a great spring where folks weren't worried about prevent plant either, and and having to try and decide what to do. We also had a disaster program that has some prevent plant provisions uh, that are acknowledged in that disaster program, of which we've not been able to put the rules together yet. And so there's been a lot of speculation about uh, whether those might be incentive for folks uh, to have prevent plant. I think in the mo- in most cases, uh, farmers looked at what was going to work on their farm, and in many cases, they were not able to get out the field one way or the other. And those prevent plant acres um, couldn't have been planted. Um, uh, obviously, there's all kinds of degrees out there, and and there probably were some folks that had uh, half a dozen fields to be able to address, and they had to figure out which ones to, to get to before it rained them out again. Um, and they could try and speculate, try and guess, just like they're trying to guess what fall prices the crops are going to be. We've seen the corn market move up um, uh, quite a bit, recognizing that there's less corn going in the ground. Uh, So there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of challenges. Some folks had a challenge finding the right maturity crops as well to plant. So I assume um, folks were putting that into a large formula uh, and putting the guesses and estimates and what they're reading and hearing into a formula. Um, but I think for the most part, it was a very small part of it. Um, and uh, the, the field conditions were the biggest part, projections for prices and, and whether they could get a crop mature before fall uh, were uh, the next biggest parts. And speculation around a market facilitation program payment uh, was a much smaller part uh, than than some of the other factors in trying to decide what to plant or whether to plant. All right, Bill, we've got to let you go. We're out of time, but you're, uh, the disaster package, you're still working on implementation of that? We are. We're doing the budgets and trying to figure out how that's all going to fit and how many how many dollars that $3 billion or how many disasters that'll that'll be spread over. Okay, we'll talk to you soon, then hopefully on on details on that. Thanks for taking time for being with us today, Bill. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thanks, Mike. Take care. USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey. All right, up next, we'll talk markets with INTL FC Stone's Arlen Suderman. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. 
it's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you, and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Time for a market check here on Adams on Agriculture. For the American Ag Network, I'm Kirsten Rall. Markets are trading again today after a break for the 4th of July holiday. Overnight trade was, of course, quiet. Corn, soybeans, and wheat are trading lower, with soybeans losing the most ground on the day. July corn down 2.5 cents at 4.31. July soybeans down 12 cents at 8.73 and a quarter of a cent. July Minneapolis spring wheat down 21 and a quarter of a cent at 5.19 and a quarter of a cent. July Kansas City wheat down three quarters of a cent at 4.35 and a quarter of a cent. Chicago wheat July down four cents at 5.14. For the week ending June 27th, USDA reported an increase of 6.9 million bushels of corn export sales for 2018-19 and an increase of 6.2 million bushels for 2019-20. USDA reported an increase of 31.9 million bushels of soybean export sales for 2018-19 and an increase of 5.9 million bushels for 2019-20. USDA reported an increase of 10.2 million bushels of wheat export sales for 2019-20 and none for 2020-21. Live cattle and feeders are gaining ground on the day while lean hog futures are losing ground. August live cattle $1.40 higher at $106.95. October $1.65 higher at $107.95. Feeder cattle futures August $1.67 higher at $138.17. July lean hogs $1.20 lower at $72.35. In the outside markets, the Dow Jones is 148 points lower. The NASDAQ composite down 57. The S&P is down 20 points. Crude oil in New York is up 14 cents at 57.49. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. I'm Kirsten Rall for the American Ag Network. Have you written a book and want to get it published? Then call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 immediately. That's 800-955-4538. Page Publishing is looking for authors of all types of books. And unlike most publishers, Page Publishing will take the time to review each and every book submitted to them and give you their feedback. If they like what they read, they'll get your book into bookstores and for sale online at Amazon, the Apple iTunes Store, Barnes & Noble, and other outlets. They handle everything. Editing, cover design, copyright protection, printing, publicity, and distribution. So if you've written a novel, children's book, cookbook, inspirational work, poetry, or a biography and want to get it published, then you need to call Page Publishing and do it immediately. Call 800-955-4538 now for your free author submission kit. Again, for your free author submission kit, call 800-955-4538. That's 800-955-4538. Your road to fame and fortune could very well start with this simple phone call. Call Page Publishing at 800-955-4538 for your free author submission kit. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. Again, I want to thank USDA Undersecretary Bill Northey for being with us uh, in the last segment, talking about those prevent plant acres. You can plant corn, 
or soybeans as a cover crop, but you need to let uh, your insurance agent know about that. Uh, report those ahead of time, your intentions for those. Also uh, talked about they still hope to have sign up by the end of this month now for the market facilitation program. Hope to have checks out uh, in early August, but they're still working on that and still working on how to implement the uh, disaster aid package that was passed uh, by Congress. So uh, just kind of an update on some key topics there. Well, let's bring in now uh, the Chief Commodities Economist for INTL FC Stone, Arlen Suderman. Arlen, thank you for being with us. Hope you had a good fourth. You know, there are probably still a few fireworks left over that people have. I'm just wondering, are there any uh, fireworks left over for the markets here anytime coming up, you think? Well, unfortunately, the fireworks are pointing in the right direction, in the wrong direction from a producer standpoint. Uh, end users are being given an opportunity with the volatility we're seeing on this day after the 4th of July. Um, I think we've got a lot of volatility left in this market. I think we're going to see a lot of mixed signals over the next uh, uh, 40 days or so as we wait for the uh, uh, August 12th report, which now becomes really pivotal. It's kind of overshadowing next week's uh, July crop report. Uh, And that report in and of itself could create a lot of uh, volatility for the algos, but I think the grain trade itself is focused on August 12th. I can remember years ago we would all gather around and wait for that August crop report. That was a big one, and it seems like maybe in some recent years not as big, but we're, we're back to that being, as you said, the big mover right now, right? I mean, all eyes will be on that. Well, in, yeah, in the past it was always about uh, what's USDA going to say. Their first um, objective field surveys are reported in August typically, and so then we'll get an idea in yield. Well, this year it will be less about yield and more about acreage with the resurvey results and the first round of FSA numbers available. Uh, acreage would be the big focus. Um, yield question uh, really doesn't get the type of answers we've been looking for in the past until we get to the September report this year. Now we've seen if you well, when you drive through the countryside, you see such variability, and we know that especially in the eastern Corn Belt, things are really tough. There's a lot of flooded areas, but there's some other areas where boy, this this hot, humid weather the last week or so, crops have really taken off. I'm not saying they're where they normally would be at this time, but they've really made a jump. Uh, what's your assessment of uh, what we're seeing out there and how the markets are, are seeing this? Well, typically in a, a wet year, if you have problems at planting time with stand problems and tight soils, those tend to get covered up as the crop grows. Now, I think we've got situation this year where the nitrogen tried to move lower the tight soils may have reduced that a little bit but we're still seeing some low nitrogen levels out there but yet the crop doesn't really show it in most places and and i think particularly in the mornings the crop will have a pretty good green color and then in the afternoon heat as it tries to grow and pull more nitrogen maybe we lose a bit of that color i think that eventually still shows up in the yield but as crops getting taller those People who fill out those surveys each week for USDA's Crop Progress Report don't see as many of those skips and holes in the field, and the field starts to look better. They kind of tend to forget that it's delayed maturity as well. And so we're expecting those crop ratings to uh, trend higher for a few weeks unless we get some moisture stress in here in some areas that don't get rain and we start uh, firing some leaves. 
talking with a farmer yesterday watching the, the, our, our 4th of July parade, and uh, we talked about the fact that uh, there's not a really strong, not a really deep root system because we've had so much moisture. So that makes these plants, as they get taller, more susceptible to wind this, uh, this growing season. Uh, there's just going to be a lot of problems with this crop. And, uh, you know, we have to remember that the people running these algos and, and overall the speculative crowd, the institutional investors, uh, a lot of them don't even know what a corn plant looks like. But that factor that takes sunshine and nutrients and, and puts it together and, and, uh, and puts it into the starches that go into those kernels, that factory has been hurt. It's been damaged. And so it's going to be limited in what it can do. And uh, we're simply not going to have the hard data to really show that until we get to the end of the growing season. So um, for those who are hoping for higher prices, which would be on the producer side, uh, they're going to have to probably be patient until the end of the season for that data to start coming out. And for end users, uh, recognize that, uh, you know, don't rest on your laurels. Uh, Take advantage of the weaknesses and the prices. Um, because your upside price risk is still substantial, especially for corn, um, if it plays out as we think with a shorter acreage and uh, shorter yields. So what's the range you see corn and bean prices trading in here for the foreseeable future? Well, December corn right now really needs to hold that 420 area. That's critical, and we got a bounce off of it last week. Uh, and uh, we saw some follow-through buying then on Wednesday going in the holiday break. But uh, that rally's being sold. Some would say the top side of that range is 450. But that would really take us back pre-report, to pre-acreage report for that. And, and I, I'm not sure we can make it to that level. There's too much uh, interest in selling rallies right now among the institutional traders. And so I think that's going to be a struggle. And uh, I'm worried about the 420 level hitting if USDA adopts the acreage from last Friday and does not adjust its yield downward, uh, which is a possibility. When you look at the soybean side, uh, we've really kind of broken it down. Uh, We need to hold about the uh, 875 level on November soybeans. If we get below that, then I think this chart starts to look quite a bit more bearish and uh, in trouble. We're talking with Arlen Suderman with INTL FC Stone. Arlen, we have wheat harvest going on. Uh, what's your wheat outlook? Well, in wheat, we are starting to bring down global stocks. We're starting to bring down U.S. stocks, so we still have ample supply. Uh, with a shorter corn crop, we're anticipating that we're going to be feeding quite a bit more, and we are seeing that start to work in the rations particularly for the October, November, and December period. We're even seeing some pricing opportunities for wheat into the feed bunk for January, February, March as well. So that should help. Particularly hard red winter, though, we're seeing some good yields, quite a bit of supply there. We're going to have to see some significant exports uh, pick up in order to tighten up those supplies. We're watching the dryness in the Black Sea. At this point, it looks like it's taking the gravy off the crop and not really giving us a short crop there. Same thing in Australia, but it's very early in Australia yet. So we do see some opportunities. Uh, we were overpriced, but uh, the weakness we're seeing this week is starting to price U.S. wheat back competitive again in the world, so we should start seeing some support in here. have to ask you, I've asked so many, uh, your, your thoughts on that USDA 
projected acres number. I mean, it's we've seen how the markets reacted to it. Uh, some have said they just should not have even uh, re- released that report, given how out of date it really was uh, the time it came out. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I think USDA NAF does a good job of trying to get the best data possible and try to interpret that data and report it as they receive it. Um, but when you look at the context of it being a, uh, surveyed basically before so much of it was not even planted yet, it was basically another intentions report. And so I think either it shouldn't have been released or it should have had that right up front with greater clarity. The problem is the algos are set up to trade the numbers, the headline numbers, and not read the introductory page to, to find out all about the context and everything like that. So it created a lot of confusion. We got value out of looking at the data, but it created a lot of uh, disruption in the marketplace, and I'd preferred that it never would have been released in the first place. When they say in the report we're going to resurvey 14 states, that says they lacked a lot of confidence in what the numbers really meant as well, and I think uh, makes a good argument for why it probably shouldn't have been released. And finally, Arlen, what are we? Uh, what are you seeing, and what should we make, take note of on the export side right now? Well, exports are hurting overall. We have seen some good uh, wheat exports, particularly hard red winter wheat, and, and I think that's good. Um, corn has really been hurting. In fact, if you look at export sales for the marketing year to date, we trail the seasonal pace we need to be on to hit USDA target by about 290 million bushels. Shipments are actually doing better. So the unshipped portion of those sales is much smaller than what we'd normally expect, but I think we're still going to fall short there. Uh, it's not that there's a, that much more corn around the world in order to uh, to meet the demand with our short crop, but we are pulling it forward with our higher prices. On the soybean side, um, we did see the big sale to China trying to influence the talks uh, at the G20 summit, but otherwise shipments continue to lag there as well. Uh, we really need to see some uh, some trade agreements uh, inked and signed and, and agreed to and uh, see some weaker dollar to help us in our competitiveness as well. As always, good to talk with you, Arlen. Appreciate you being with us. Thank you, Mike. Take care. INTL, FC Stone's Chief Commodities Economist, Arlen Suderman. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk with Alan Burga with the National Milk Producers Federation. They are part of a collaboration, uh, quite an a, quite a initiative underway, a new dairy initiative by Chobani, uh, a key yogurt maker. And uh, they're working with a number of groups and really trying to highlight uh, the animal welfare conditions on dairy farms and uh, issues like labor and environmental issues, all this. We're going to find out what all this is about called Milk Matters next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. 
Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at Goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Thousands of people contact InventHelp monthly about their invention or new product. Do you think companies would be interested in your idea? Do you want to try to get a patent? Call InventHelp now. Best of all, the call and information are free. InventHelp keeps your idea confidential, explaining every step of the invention process. We create professional materials and submit them to companies who are looking for new ideas in your category. We have more than 9,000 companies who have agreed to review new ideas in confidence. If a company shows interest in manual Manufacturing your invention, we can negotiate on your behalf. We have helped over 10,000 clients receive patents. We offer 3D modeling and animation, prototyping services, and we use state-of-the-art technology to present client ideas to additional companies. Join people just like you who made the call to InventHelp. You have nothing to lose. The call and the information are free. Call 1-800-213-4556. That's 1-800-213-4556. Again, 1-800-213-4556. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, pressure on agriculture on environmental issues has been growing the last several years and looks to probably intensify in the years to come. Let's talk about that with the CEO for the Center for Food Integrity, Charlie Arnott. Charlie, thank you for being with us. I know it certainly looks like the public at large and maybe some policymakers uh, don't feel that agriculture is doing enough when it comes to reducing uh, its carbon footprint. Now, agriculture has a good story to tell, but there seems to be a, kind of a, a disconnect here right now. Well, you're exactly right, Mike, and there are a number of things that are that are at play here kind of simultaneously. It's the change in consumer attitudes, consumer, uh, consumer purchasing behavior, the emergence and the growth of the purpose-driven consumer. We're also seeing that lack of appreciation and awareness of what actually happens on farms, the bias against size and scale of agriculture, and a number of other factors. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. I spend a lot of time in the garage, but even more time in the rain, sleet, and mud. In 95, I helped tow your moving trailer. In 05, I helped you get out of a ditch. Yeah, I know I'm a bit rusty and 
sadly in 09. It was sparks from me. Your handy chains. Dragging behind your truck that accidentally started a wildfire. Sparks from dragging chains can start a wildfire. Spark a change, not a wildfire. Visit SmokeyBear.com. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service, your state forester, and the Ad Council. Only you can prevent wildfires. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. We're excited to explore the topics that make a difference to agriculture. The Farm Bill, immigration reform, reducing regulations, trade, new technology, as well as infrastructure and health care. Through the year, Adams on Agriculture will originate on location from several major national meetings and events. Subscribe to the show's podcast at AmericanAgNetwork.com. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture from the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Yogurt maker Chibani is working with Fairtrade USA, the World Wildlife Fund, National Milk Producers Federation, Cornell University, other state programs, and dairy farmers uh, working to develop comprehensive standards for ensuring sound labor, environmental, and animal welfare conditions on dairy farms. It's a six-pillar effort called Milk Matters. And here with the National Milk Producers Federation to talk about it is Alan Bjerga. Alan, thanks for joining us. Tell us a little bit more about this uh, cooperative effort and and, uh, the role of National Milk in this. Well, if you don't mind, Mike, you're bringing up this Chobani effort that it was written pretty extensively about in the New York Times earlier this week. And if you just allow me to vent for about a moment or so, you know, the headline on that story said it was meant this program is meant to help the struggling dairy industry. Um, we have to get beyond this concept of struggling within dairy. Uh, it is true that per capita milk consumption is down, um, and it is true that dairy farmers themselves are struggling. But the dairy industry itself has a very bright future. You've seen consumption of milk go up four out of the last five times in the in the U.S. You know, exports are up in spite of some challenging trade winds. Um, and in this context, you see the dairy industry trying to improve itself, make sure that consumers have more confidence in the product, have, have a greater trust in what milk provides, for them, and frankly, part of what Chobani CEO Hamdi Ulakaya calls the the emotional ingredients behind a product, and I think that's a lot of what is behind this effort here, where he's talking about milk matters. You know, dairy has a great story to tell. Um, it has uh, a lot of positive things to offer consumers, especially you know, with compared to some of the less nutritious, more expensive competitors from the plant-based sector. But what you really need is, is something that that shows folks that that we're out there, that we're getting better. Um, The exploration of this certification with Fairtrade, which ultimately is is Chobani's bailiwick, um, that's something that that helps move the needle in this direction. 
what National Milk is doing, um, you know, we, we administer the National Dairy Farm Program, uh, which ensures best practices um, in everything from, you know, workforce training to animal care. We're in the process of coming out with the latest version of these guidelines. We're in conversations with Chobani. Um, we are showing what some of the best practices are that we've been encouraging, and everything they can do to encourage those practices as well and, and come up with new ideas that move the industry forward, that's very welcome. Now, these are these are uh, hot points right now when you talk about uh, environmental issues, treatment of animals, of course, uh, the farm labor issues. These are these are big areas that create a lot of emotion and in some cases controversy of what's being done or what needs to be done. So is this a matter as well of, of educating the public what is going on in the dairy industry? I think that's a big part of it, Mike. You take a look at some of the things that dairy is doing right now in terms of its you know, carbon footprint, the actual reduction, not just per unit, but in overall measures of greenhouse gas. You've seen dairy be a leader, not just in animal agriculture, but in agriculture as a whole. Some of the issues that dairy has is the fact that these are these large operations. You know, these are cows that are living for a long time in one place. They're great targets for undercover activists. Um, they're great targets for people who, you know, want to go against something with a very wholesome image and sort of be contrarian in what, what they are portraying. And so it gives dairy a bigger target on its back than it deserves, and especially when you consider all of the positive things that dairy are do- is doing to lower its carbon footprint, to be proactive in having the only animal welfare standard that is recognized internationally for the best practices that it promotes. So a lot of this is consumer education. Again, I think a lot of what Chobani is doing with this initiative is trying to show that education and show consumers that that extra mile is really being taken and those extra steps are really being taken seriously. That's a lot of what the industry is already doing. I think Chobani's effort only enhances it. Chobani says by December of this year, all their source milk will comply with National Milk's Farm Program version 3.0. You touched upon this. Uh, uh, tell us a little bit more about uh, National Milk's Farm Program. Well, the Farm Program 3.0 compliance is very important, but i could t- got to tell you, we're already working on 4.0, which is going to enhance things even further. You know, the Nar- National Dairy Farm Program is 10 years old. Um, it's meant to lead the industry through a system of second-party audits, third-party audits, um, ways to educate producers on what science shows are the best practices in terms of animal care, in terms of sustainability practices. Um, we're adding workforce management to this. You know, a lot of the real hot-button issues in dairy where we're really looking for answers that really include things that, that boost the integrity of both the dairy farm as well as the integrity that a consumer feels when they get a dairy product. Um, farm was really a trailblazer in this. It continues to be leading the pack. Frankly, we're not that surprised that um, Chobani is working with us. When, when you have 98% of the milk supply involved in the farm program, it's a great place to start, and it's a great place where everyone can learn and discuss. And finally, Alan, are you uh, happy with the participation numbers? We're seeing the sign-up numbers in the dairy margin coverage program. Well, you know farmers as well as I do. Um, I think this is going to look like a barbell, you know, in terms of when the sign-ups happen. It started on June 17th. Um, within the first 10 days, you had about 5,000 operations of almost 40,000 that were signed up. That's very encouraging. And what is important is, is that these farmers who really have been living from milk check to milk check, 
they can now get in right away and they can get that assistance in the first half of July. You know, the check should be going out in the next few weeks. Um, from there, I don't expect – I wouldn't be shocked if you didn't see some late adapters in this. I mean, the longer you wait, the more information you have of past months of this program. And remember, sign-up is retroactive to January 1st, so you get those first few months of the year. Plus, folks just get busy. I mean, I would encourage farmers to sign up as quickly as they can because you never know what might happen during that last week of September when you were me- meaning to go out and sign up. But the information is out there. Uh, a lot of farmers are participating at the 950 mass maximum coverage level. That'll make sense for a lot of folks. They should get out, but the early numbers are indeed encouraging. All right, Alan. Good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Alan Bjerga with the National Milk Producers Federation. We are out of time for today and for the week. Monday, we'll talk with Iowa Senator Charles Grassley. Hope you'll join us as well. Have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks for being with us on AOA.